Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, you're really going to enjoy our next guest, Emily Goldmears, who is a citizen scientist, a biohacker, and author of Optimizing Your Health, an approachable guide to reducing your risk of chronic disease. A former attorney, Goldmears shifted her advocacy efforts to seek information on optimizing one's health through extensive research analysis in science and medicine. Her research focuses on the intersection of functional and allopathic medicine and the critical requirements for individuals to become their own healthcare advocates. Welcome, Emily. Thank you, Dr. Laika. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Well, tell me about your journey. Tell me about how you got to where you are. Well, I've always had an interest in science and medicine. Um, and I noticed for years that our country has a real science literacy issue. And that was of great concern. This was long before the pandemic. And the pandemic only highlighted, highlighted the issues and the problems that occur when a country has a science literacy problem. So my father, who I adored, I was very lucky to have the greatest dad in the whole world. He got sick with vascular dementia. And as I watched him decline steadily and consistently, I was dismayed by the way his health care was handled. It, it wasn't helpful at all. And I began researching frantically to see if there was anything I could find to perhaps stall the progression of his disease. And what I found was quite grim. I found that despite billions of dollars allocated to the research and the drug development for neurodegenerative diseases, and many brilliant scientists devoting their lives to this disease, there has been no meaningful progress. And I found that so disillusioning that I broadened my research to include all chronic diseases and to try and find if there was anything hopeful or optimistic that we could do to delay the onset of these diseases. And what I found was actually quite optimistic and quite hopeful because many of them, contrary to belief, have only a very small genetic component to these diseases, 10% about, and most of them are lifestyle and environment related. And that's hopeful because we can take control of our lifestyle choices and the environment surrounding us to a degree at least. The sad thing is that is not usually the mainstream of medicine, you know, at least the medicine that I was practicing in and things like that. Most of this comes from outside of mainstream medicine, and it, it revolves in functional and allopathic medicine, which is 
outside of the regular realms of medicine that help usually people. It's so true. It's so true. And that's why that was the inspiration for my book, because I found so many interesting pieces of information that I thought people need to know. I want to share what I learned because other people may not be quite as inclined to dive deep into the research as I was. And they need to know because we are a sick country and getting sicker by the day. And one can't help but conclude that the current approach isn't working. And in my belief, I think that patient participation is going to be helpful to drive change. Yes, I think so. You know, during the pandemic, my mother died and she didn't die from COVID. She died from the way we were treating COVID. You know, they literally put her in isolation because they took away the things that were keeping her sane, the newspapers, the things that she would get into every day. And that caused her dementia to worsen because of the things that were happening around her. I mean, picture you're 85 years old. You can't hear. You can't see very well. And then all of a sudden, you disallow people to come and see you. You disallow even to get a newspaper that you'd read every day and be able to keep you somewhat sane. You know, those things were very drastic during our COVID days. Indeed. I'm so sorry for your loss. It's really been terrible, but there have been so many mistakes made. And hopefully we've learned lessons. Hopefully we can prepare ourselves for what will inevitably be another pandemic someday. And we'll take a great concern in individual care and individual participation to try and improve our resilience so that when the next bad pandemic comes down the pike, we'll be better equipped to handle it. Yes, and I hope we don't go overboard in doing things. Now, I'm a big believer in vaccines, and I'm a big believer in masking, and I'm a big believer in not passing this virus on to other people. But at the same time, we have to go on living. And we have to make sure we live the best way we can. Absolutely. I agree with you completely. So let's go into some of the things you found in the field of dementia and, and, and things like that. What have you found to be important things to keep people on board with their mental health? Well, what I found was quite interesting. First of all, there's definitely a nutrition component. I didn't hear it from any doctor. Um, but what we eat has an enormous impact on how we feel and how we age. And I didn't know that. And many of the lessons I learned were from making all the wrong mistakes. And I thought I will do anything to avoid a neurodegenerative disease, or at least postpone it as long as I can. And to that end, I have completely changed my nutritional choices. I think that sugar is a big component. There are some people who are referring to Alzheimer's and dementia as diabetes three because the glucose crosses the blood brain barrier and contributes to the formation of the beta amyloid plaques. And that's something that we can take control of. We could reduce our glucose intake. We can adjust what we eat. That's one thing. Movement is very, very important. A sedentary lifestyle is extraordinarily harmful and interesting social 
And community connection makes a big difference. Isolation is very, very bad for people, particularly as we age. Yes, in fact, isolation is such a dangerous thing that it's been predicted that if people go through a phase of isolation, within four months of getting into that phase, that 80 or 90% of people will be hospitalized because that has upset their routine to such an extent it's that bad. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I once read a book quite some time ago about countries all over the world where people live the longest. And one of the common factors among all of these countries was community and socializing and how critically important that is, not just as we age, but for everyone. We're biologically wired to connect with other people. And when that's taken away, the results are adverse. Yes, exactly. Uh, And, you know, it's interesting, those countries that are healthier than the United States and Canada are ones that live a more traditional lifestyle where they've gone back to nature and and live in, in a way where food comes from the farm to the table and they live a better lifestyle that way. Indeed. And I think Toxin exposure is another big one. I write extensively about that and am dismayed to have learned that the United States permits 85,000 chemicals, many of which have not been adequately tested for safety, and many of which are banned in other countries. And its toxin exposure is definitely a component of all disease. And that's true. And, you know, that's why I think people have to be aware of what's going in their bodies. They have to be aware of things that are going on and they have to take responsibility for things and not just do things the way that they've done in the past. It's true. It's really true. And and the reality is feeling healthy is probably the most important thing. It's the foundation for all else. One is more productive. One is happier. One is just, they sleep better. When you're healthy, it affects every aspect of your life. Exactly. So what do you know about supplements and how they help and harm people? Supplements is an area of great interest for me. And part of it was, once again, I made the wrong mistakes because I would read articles about supplements that one can and should take. For instance, I was reading extensively about supplements that would improve our mitochondria. And I thought, well, I would like to have good mitochondria, knowing that they're the energy packs of our cells and and contribute to feeling good. And I began taking some of these supplements that were allegedly good for creating new mitochondria. Until then, I dove down a little deeper into the science, and I thought, wait a minute, this is dangerous to just read an article and take a supplement. And we saw that during COVID that a lot of people were recommending that everyone take zinc, because zinc is an antiviral mineral. But there was very little, if any, written about the fact that zinc and copper are synergistic, and they must remain in balance. And if one takes too much of zinc, their copper falls out of balance 
and then bad things can occur. And this turns out to be true of all vitamins and minerals. There's a synergistic relationship among all of them. And one, I think, should never take anything based upon an article or even a recommendation unless they have been tested first. It costs a little bit to get tested to determine what your baseline is, but it's far less costly than wasting money on supplements that could maybe be a waste of your money or worse, be harmful for you. Yes, and I think people have to be aware of things. You know, just reading something and then thinking it's right for you is is a bad approach to going into this whole area. It's so true. And there's such a low barrier to entry into the supplement industry. Everyone is selling supplements. And because of that, there are a lot of charlatans and there's a lot of misinformation Frequently, the dose that's on the bottle doesn't match the dose in the capsule or the tablet. Often, there are excipients and fillers and binders to bulk up the capsules, which are not good for us to take. And there's a lot to know about supplements. Exactly. And and this is where you have to inform yourself and become the captain of your own ship. Indeed, I completely agree with that. But that's why I wrote the book, to kind of help people and to guide them. If they don't want to do all the research, I've done it for them. Exactly. Now, what about health tracking devices? Are they helpful or harmful? Well, I love those devices. I mean, I'm a believer in collecting quantitative data. There's an expression expression that I love that says, You cannot fix what you cannot measure. And what these tracking devices do is they assist in the measurement and the collection of data. And what they do is they make you accountable. Most of them, or many of them perhaps, may not be 100% accurate, but they do give you information which is valuable. The two that I write extensively about, and they're just two, there's so many more that I love, are the Aura Ring, which I'm wearing now. And that's a, a ring out of Finland where they give you great data on your sleep. They give you metrics such as the amount of REM sleep, the amount of deep sleep, what your resting heart rate is during your sleep, your heart rate variability during your sleep, which is a metric for stress, Um, your, did I say respiratory rate, your body temperature, so many wonderful metrics. And it may not be 100% accurate, but it gives you an idea and where you can kind of tweak things. I find if I have my dinner too late, it affects my resting heart rate. So I try to adjust that. If I eat certain things, that can affect how I sleep. And it, it just helps guide you and directs you to where you can make improvements. And the other device that I absolutely love And I'm convinced that someday in the future, I don't know when, everyone will have one. And this is the continuous glucose monitor, which was designed for people with diabetes. But I think it has great utility for people who don't have diabetes, because what it tells you is a personalized information on your individual response to every food you eat your stress, your sleep, your exercise. And it's a device that a doctor can give one a prescription for. You apply it to your arm or your stomach for two weeks at a time. You pair it with your phone and you find out if you're spiking glucose. Certain foods that are seemingly benign, like a carrot or a banana, 
whole foods that are good to eat, different people based on their genetics and biochemistry can have a different response. And that's valuable information to know because it's these consistent glucose spikes that are very harmful for us. Understandable. And, you know, I think the body is amazing. And I think for the most part, bodies can overcome little things. But when they're becoming persistent, that's when they become a problem. And as you get older, your body is not able to handle sugar like when you were younger. So it becomes, that's why a person turns into a type two diabetic when they're over a certain age, because their body cannot handle the sugar that's going into it. It's so true, but there's so much written about the fact that if one is diagnosed with type two diabetes, you can reverse it. And that to me is so hopeful. It's like you change your diet and you move and you adjust certain lifestyles. One does not have to continue being a diabetic. If they, you know, type one is different. That's a completely different type of diabetes. But with type two, it is reversible. And it's incumbent upon people to make the changes so that they're not subject to the, that glucose issue. Exactly. And, you know, it, it is not going to be easy to change your diet. Don't get us wrong. You know, that is one of the hardest things in the world people to do. But once you do, you start feeling better and healthier and your, your life takes on a different perspective. It's so true. And I know this because I had very poor eating habits. Um, and because I was very physically active, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong because I didn't have an understanding of what I was doing internally. But watching my father die, I was willing to do whatever it took to not get that. And so I changed my eating habits and you're absolutely right. It's not easy, but as you begin to feel better and you get more energy and you lose your brain fog, it incentivizes you to continue improving your habits. And there's nothing more valuable than doing so. Yes. And I really think people should look at things in their life, look at things they can adjust, Look at diet. Look at exercise. Exercise is another valuable thing. Is that not right? Absolutely. It is. I mean, they're finding that consistent exercise releases something called BDNF, which stands for brain-derived neurotropic factor. And that's very important for longevity and for the avoidance of these neurodegenerative diseases. And it's great for your metabolic health, which is critical. I mean, we have a crisis of metabolic syndrome at least in the United States, we do. Exactly. So, you know, exercise is a huge role to play. And that should be done at least a couple of times a week. And everybody should be participating in it. It's true. And one doesn't need to be overwhelmed. You don't need to go to the gym every day. Incremental improvements make a difference. I mean, even if you start out slowly and you walk around the block and then you build upon that, every little bit will help. If you sit at your computer all day for your work, every 45 minutes, get up and walk around for 10 minutes. And that's manageable. That's a great way to start for people who have been sedentary. Tell us some more of the pearls from your book. Well, I cover 19 chapters. The 19th chapter is a resource chapter, and it's the result of extensive research of 
products and brands and services, ones that I feel are legitimate and valuable. And the first 18 chapters, I go into everything I could think of that will contribute to improving one's health. I begin with the oral microbiome because there's great evidence that connects oral health with systemic wellness. And I believe that's where our health, our health begins. I go into the gut microbiome, much of which has been written. And it's so critical, connected to your brain, connected to everything. I firmly believe that if your gut is not optimized and most of ours isn't optimized, you're gonna have a difficult time improving any other system in your body. So it's critical to begin with that. And there are so many ways to do it. I talk about inflammation and immunity and stress and sleep and exercise. I talk about uh, our toxin exposure, which is really a big one, hydration, nutrition, hormones, light optimization. We don't read enough about this, that the amount of blue light, which we're exposed to at night is harmful for our biology during the day. It's okay. But at night between our screens and our devices and even our LED light bulbs, the spectrum of blue light gets into our eyeball, it hits our pineal gland and it shuts off our endogenous production of human growth hormone and melatonin. And it's not good for us, but there are ways to improve upon that. I talk about breathing, something that we all take for granted, but we shouldn't because mouth breathing is not healthy for us. You don't get sufficient oxygen to your brain. One should train themselves to be a nose breather. And it's not that hard to do. I talk about cold thermogenesis, which is a great way to improve your metabolism and to improve your cognitive skills. I talk about genetics, which I believe is the future of medicine and genomics and epigenetics, which states that we all have these genetic variations or SNPs as they're called. And all that they tell you is that you have a particular predisposition to a disease. It's not a foregone conclusion that you will get that. And this emerging area of science called epigenetics states that your lifestyle choices can either turn on or turn off the expression of your genes. Your food is information for your genes. I go into the, the testing and tracking, which is a favorite field, supplements, um, and a number of other areas. Oh, that's pretty important. Let's delve into sleep a little bit because there's lots of misconceptions about sleep and frankly, misinformation. Indeed there is. And sleep affects among other things, our hormone balance. In particular, disordered sleep affects the hormones that regulate our appetite and metabolism. Ghrelin is known as the hunger hormone and leptin is known as the satiety hormone. Lack of sleep increases the, produ the production of ghrelin and decreases the production of leptin. Insufficient, insufficient sleep also increases the release of stress hormones like cortisol, which decreases one's insulin sensitivity, which in turn regulates our blood sugar and is implicated in everything. Yes, and, and that is, is a key. So, and the other thing you mentioned is blue light. Blue light interferes with our sleep cycle. So people shouldn't be on their devices 
close to the time they go to bed. Absolutely true. It is. And, and little, simple, free hacks that one can do to improve their sleep is to reset their circadian rhythms. And, and ways to do that include getting morning light within 30 to 60 minutes of waking. You go outside, and even if you live in a cloudy, overcast environment, the photons from the sun can still penetrate. And you stand there not looking directly in the sun, but you expose yourself to light. And that helps to reset your, reset your circadian rhythms, which will in turn help your sleep balance. And then at night, if you sleep in a very dark room and a cold room and you go to bed and you wake up at a consistent time, all of these things will contribute to better sleep. Yes, exactly. And, and I think all those things are marvelous things as well. Uh, we're getting close to the end of our time together. And I want to cover two things. One is this show is called How to Live a Fantastic Life Show. So Emily, how do you live a fantastic life? Well, I happen to love what I do. I'm passionate about my research. I love to share what I've learned. And for me, that contributes to a fantastic life. I mean, I'd like to have some sort of positive impact before I die. And I feel that sharing this information and helping people hopefully will contribute to that. That's important. How do you recommend others live a fantastic life? I think improving your lifestyle choices. It's within your control. And when you feel better, you'll be more productive. And then Everyone can have a positive impact when they, they're happier and they feel better. They're well-rested. They're well-fed. That's how they should live a fantastic life. Great. Now, how can people find about more about you, your world, and your book? Well, I have a website called emilygoldmears.com and I have You're social You're going to have to spell that because not everybody's going to spell that correctly. Okay, I can do that. It's E-M-I-L-Y-G-O-L-D-M as in Mary, E-A-R-S as in Sam.com. And that's the same name as my Instagram, my LinkedIn, and my Facebook. And my book is available on Amazon, um, all the online retailers, Target, Walmart, and independent booksellers. Wonderful. Uh, Emily. This has truly been a joy to have you here today. Is there any path, last words you'd like to say before we leave? Well, I just thank you so much, Dr. Leica, for the opportunity. I've enjoyed speaking with you. Okay, well, remember, everybody, you are responsible for your life, what you put into it, both cognitively and the food sources and nutrients and supplements you put into it. So you have to make the right informed decisions and you have to take the right choices. Once you do that, then you have to build on that and do it on a regular basis to make sure it happens. Exercising once a month isn't going to cut it. Going to sleep once uh, uh, properly once a, a month isn't going to cut it. You have to take the responsibility to make sure you do the right things to make sure your life happens properly. I concur. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Emily, thank you for being here. 
And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here as well. And if you can, please go to my website and check out Dr. Ellen Lyka. That's D-R-A-L-L-E-N-L-Y-C-K-A.com. Because there you'll be able to find a lot of information. And I'd love to help you as well. If you would love to have a free 15-minute discovery call, please check me out and sign up for it. And in addition, just by going to my site, I will give you a golden pearl a week. And that golden pearl will help elevate your life and just make it that much special. Thank you again for being here. I look forward to seeing you soon and talking to you more. Bye for now. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Laika's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day.